Well, plus, do you ever see that movie with Bo Derek? Let's all think about that for a little bit. Mm. <laughs> all righty. I have I, I have the usual line for the show. All right, you know, what you, is you, it? You, you, you do a little thing you know, before the actual episode starts. Thirty dollars for a magnet? For a magnet? <laughs> all right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. <laughs> Alrighty. And welcome to your newest edition of the podcast. And today we're joined by an esteemed panel of greatness and some really cool people. I'm joined by Matt Porter. What's up, Kiss Army? Craig Cohen. Hey, Ken. I um, I have my uh, protective mask on today because I don't want to catch whatever it sounds like you have. Yes. Uh, I'm a little bit under the weather. Is it Ebola? You know, nobody wants to say over the weather. Have you ever noticed that? Anyway. <laughs> He's got Ebola soup. Yeah. Nobody? Oh, Ebola God. soup. There you go. Hey, do you guys want to hear a joke about Ebola? Uh, you probably won't get it. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. And Gary Schaller's joining us. Hello, hello, good morning. And Andrew Scambetti. He's back. Joining us for the first time in a long time, Cassius Morris. Hey guys, what's going on? Thank you so much for having me. Well, today we're going to be discussing the Love Gun Deluxe. Yes, Love Gun. And if you were able to find it, hopefully you were able to find it. Uh, how are the sales going on this? Has anybody heard? I think it went for Micah. It went for Micah. <laughs> went for Micah. <laughs> you know what the funny thing about the, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how hard it's been to find. I I found that all of the Universal Deluxe Editions are pretty hard to find. They did a run with uh, some Black Sabbath, some of the lesser-known 80s Black Sabbath albums, like The Eternal Idol and Headless Cross, uh, and those were hard to find as well. It doesn't seem like Universal, you know, does much of a push for these, and the price point has been the same as well. Around yeah. 30 bucks, right? Yeah. Well, that's kind of weird. I mean, I could find mine fine. I just called the all the music stores, and mine came out November 4th here, so... I, I, the second November 4th rolled around, there was copies everywhere. Hmm. But you know what the funny thing is? Like, how much are you seeing, you know, heritage releases at your Best Buy or at your Walmarts? For me, we have a local record store here that had it, and, and that's where, you know, that's where people went to get it. Uh, you know, Target and Best Buy and Walmart really aren't going to be the, the places to find stuff like this, except for it, I imagine, when, like, the new ACDC comes out, you know, right. those retailers, will they'll have that. Well, I mean, you think back to a couple of years ago, you used to be able to go to, you know, Walmart or Target. And I, I saw Hotter Than Hell and Dress to Kill at, at a Walmart years and years ago. But now it's like you'll go to Kit, you'll go to Walmart and you maybe you'll see Sonic Boom, probably not. And you'll probably see like one of the 900 greatest, his, greatest hits releases. 
Yeah, all those big box stores there, I mean, <clears throat> if you look at their music section and even their movie section, those have gotten so much smaller. I used to go to Best Buy every Tuesday, mm -hmm. and I would leave with a DVD. <clears throat> I haven't done that in two or three years. Yeah, it's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, very limited. Well, Gone Blind posted this over at KissFact, and he said that we know that the album did not make the Billboard Top 200. <laughs> And that the 200th album sold 1,800 copies. So we have to assume that Love Gun Deluxe would have sold about 1,800 so far. And it's weird because when you think about an album selling, you don't think about it in terms of something that small. But I think that they're, they're, they're obviously still going to make money on this, right? Wait, does that include downloads from iTunes? Don't know. Good question. Do not yeah, know. I, yeah, I think the, the Billboard charts, they're reporting sound scan numbers, so I guess it's a matter of, of learning if iTunes reports to sound scan or not. That's a great question, Gary. Because yeah, I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine that, that, that there's a, a grand and a half of people who, who uh, wanted this album and well, no more, you know? Well, it, right. Do you think the release date has a factor? Because you're, you're, at this point you're getting close to that holiday window where a lot of people might have this on their, you know, their holiday wish list. I think for any other band I, w I, would, I would think so, but KISS fans tend to just go and get the thing, you know what I mean? They want it now. Right. right. Yeah, but well, I, a lot I of them want it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but I, I've heard like a lot of fans, they'll wait for Christmas to get certain things. Like I remember like certain books that come out or certain box sets that come out. It'll be on their Christmas list. However, just because it's on their Christmas list doesn't mean that someone can't purchase it now and they just won't receive it until Christmas. Good point. The, the, true, the whole true. thing was just kind of odd to me because you spend all this time, you know, doing photo research for the package. You spend this time digging up the rare tracks and then you spend the time remastering the album again. Why do that if the sales are going to be minuscule? Granted, I know that, that we're not going to be doing Taylor Swift numbers here. Right. But you think you'd want to do a little bit more of a push if you put some time and effort into it. So let's talk about the album cover. Matt Porter, what do you think of the Love Gun Deluxe album packaging? Well, you know what? I was actually lucky enough to go out and find it right away. I'll give a shout-out to my local store. There's a place called The Record Revival right here in Quakertown, which they had it right away. So, uh, I mean, obviously... You know, I've been going to the Q Mart, which is where it's at for since the 70s. We bought a lot of our early albums there. So it's I still love the idea of walking into the Q Mart. You can get a copy. And, you know, they had them right up on there. And, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, to me, you look at it, it's still one of the greatest illustrations of Kiss ever. I mean, obviously, if we're talking Love Gun and we're talking about the package <laughs> and the box it came in. But, I mean, I mean, you know, really, the, uh, you know, hey, look, it's early in the morning. But the, uh, you know... The little magnet and everything, okay, they don't give you the, the fold-out gun anymore, but the book is phenomenal, and the pictures are great. Mm. I think that illustration on the back of the book with the black-and-white pencil drawing, you know, those. I think the girls in that are hotter than the ones that made the actual cover. They look like they're way more awake. And, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, but, so, I mean, that's... I, in, in a way, when we're talking about the sales, in a lot of way... You know, we are talking about the extra things that came with it. The book looks nice. The packaging is nice. But, I mean, you already, how many times have you bought Love Gun, the album itself? Right. Six times. You know, Six and that's times. the thing. And then yeah. even, like, <laughs> even among the, the songs on the second disc, you know, it, a lot of them, like, I mean, how many more live versions of those songs do you want? That interview is, like, so kind of throw away and we can get into all that but mm. yeah I, I was thrilled i think the packaging obviously that that painting 
still, as soon as you look at it, I think, you know, it really, uh, I always love it. It's you a know, masterpiece. We, well, you know, we talk about that a lot is, you know, is Kiss living on their history and things like that. Absolutely, because I remember being a young kid looking at that cover, and you would try and draw that, and they look like superheroes, and it was it was everything. I mean, to me, like you said, that's I, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but it really is a masterpiece. Like, I think it captures so much of what was like how I wanted Kiss to be at that time, mm-hmm. and what I wanted from Kiss and Kiss albums, and that it's just a great cover. I mean, Ken Kelly obviously is the man. I mean, it's really it's just fantastic. Yeah. Jody, Jody Havnut recently did a really good interview with Ken Kelly. We yeah. encourage people to check it out. Craig Cohen, your thoughts on the cover? For me, the, the biggest treat here was that pencil sketch that I had never seen before. I'd seen another questionable sort of pencil sketch that had never been confirmed as Ken's. The one that came with this set was so great to see. And what really amazed me, Ken has never showcased that before. I've never seen it on Ken's website. He's never put it for sale. So to see that and being such a big fan of Ken's work, I have non-Kiss stuff from Ken hanging here in my house. So a uh, real treat to see that. And that cover is so iconic. It's it That is actually hanging in my kitchen of all places. It's a cover you can look at all the time. I, I think that the packaging overall was was really really great and the magnet is is such a a cool little thing to include even though I started to think using a real gun this is the first time I thought about it makes zero sense (laughs) it's a love gun right (laughs) well they're not gonna put a dick in the package I mean let's get real here well think about it they didn't listen to the last podcast you know Yeah. yeah think about it okay it 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 was kind of like if a parent is looking at this and they go love gun no way but if they see a little gun in there then they can like kind of feel better about themselves a little bit you know what i mean it's okay. innocent it's like yes. pew pew yes yes think about what you just said though <laughs> i don't want to give my child a part of the human body but a gun's all right <laughs> that's okay i'll let them have a firearm <laughs> but i don't i don't want them to have the thing that 50 percent chance they already have <laughs> but you know what though in, in some ways I think that was one of the things that really made me go back in my mind when I was you know 8 years old or whatever and got this I understood if it had a little gun we had all kind of toy guns but I have to say and this is I mean obviously being a lot older when I got this and I'm driving home cranking it up and I actually started to kind of snicker because I'm thinking to myself you know he really is singing about his dick and uh-huh. it's like you know and if you take and you start to sing my dick whoa my, you know it's it's not, not as sketchy as love gun so it's the innuendo and in the front though and in the back though and it's innuendo just, it's, out it's, your window <laughs> exactly and it's just I think in a way it, it somehow captures I think the innocence of when we were little like I was, you know, eight or nine years old, and and uh, had this, and you know, I didn't really, I had no idea really what he was singing about. So the little gun didn't, it was just made just as much sense in 1977 or whatever. You know, it's it was just rock and roll at the end of right, the day. Right, right. Andrew, any thoughts on the cover from you? Well, you know, we we can go into the track listing a little bit later, but the packaging really made it for me, and I want to compare it to the Alive box set that came out a couple of years ago. Because granted, most of the stuff in here you know, we've had or we've heard or we've heard about, so there really wasn't a ton of new content on this. The same thing goes for that Alive album. I mean, we can go on record about the Millennium concert or whatever, but you look at those packages, you're like, wow, this is a really, this is a great package. Mm-hmm. We're in the digital age right now, so 
you know, a lot of us, you know, usually don't buy CDs anymore. Don't buy albums. or don't buy everything. It's just it's an MP3. It's an MP3 sent to your email. Let me go on iTunes and get this. When you're buying a Kiss release and you get this cool package and you get these cool photos, that's what makes it for me. That's almost one of the reasons why I wanted it. You know, and I'm looking through the mm-hmm. book and, you know, call me nuts, but for nuts. some reason, yeah, for some reason, every time you get like a new Kiss CD book or you get a new Kiss tour book at a concert, the ink smells a certain way. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yes. I, open, I open the book and I'm like, oh, it smells like a tour book. <laughs> I know so what it you takes, mean. It takes me you. back to all those times that I got all these. I'm all these sniffing new mine right now. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh it smells so Oh, my so God, great. it does smell like a tour book. Yeah. It's yeah, like a t shirt in a rock store. Yeah. Guys. Hey guys, don't ruin Absolutely. this. Listen, Shh, listen, I'm yeah. digging this. Don't ruin this for me. Ken's in the zone. Oh. Okay. Ken's in the zone. All right. I thought we're it back. was. I thought it was a cool. And touch we're back. They, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a cool touch that they included the original record sleeve, you know, in the in the Digipack gatefold. But I guess if if I want to add a little humorous, you know, spin on it, I paid thirty dollars for a magnet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. When we heard early reports about the packaging and everything, everyone's like, oh, it comes with this, it comes with that. And it's like, oh, it comes with a, a magnet. I'm like, a magnet? I gotta have the magnet. And that's what I had to get. <laughs> 30 bucks. Yeah, weren't people bucks. talking about, like, stickers and all that? Like, Yeah, they're like, was well, a gun gonna be in there? And then people are like, a magnet. A magnet? I gotta get it. It's on my fridge. And then there were people <laughs> that didn't even get the magnet. Yeah, they felt yeah. Wow. It's like the pick in Space Invader. Right. Weird, weird, It just weird. disappeared. Or, or the guitar solo is an anomaly. Oh, 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 come on. oh my god. Come on. <laughs> oh. There's there's one question I just want to ask you all guys that, that's referencing to this Love Gun thing. There's a cool little piece of history on the package that hasn't been on a package in a very long time. What is it? Hmm. I have no idea. Just look at the package. It's there. All right, all right. I'll tell you guys, if you look at the back... If you look at the uh, the back cover on there, there's a Casablanca Records and Filmworks logo Ooh. on there. Oh, right. Something, something yeah. I haven't seen in a long time. And I saw that, and I was like, that's pretty cool. That's I would, nice. I would buy a shirt with that logo on it, because that's cool. Because when I see that, it I remember that was Kiss's label in the 70s. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Excellent. I'm surprised there's not a shirt of that yet. Yeah. So let's talk about Side One, the first CD. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time. Are there any songs that really popped out with the remastering to you guys? Yes. So let, let's start with Gary Schaller. What What is your favorite song off of Side One that really benefited from the remaster? Oh, I'm sorry. Side One of the album or Disc One? Disc One. I, I The whole thing sounded great, sounded crisp, really kicked ass. But the one that made me just almost weep was Almost Human. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The stereo separation and the... Bass, forget about it. Just the the crystal clarity of it, and that bass just kicks your ass. Between that bass and the and the congas, that is, without question, the grooviest thing that Kiss ever recorded, ever. There's no groovier song in their catalog that you know, boom, do you know? Just you get that super bassy shit going on. It's unbelievable. Wouldn't it be cool if it would have had a waka waka on it? Oh my god. <laughs> It'd be incredible, but it's already so perfect. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned the bass. Here's a uh, public service announcement from Gene Simmons. Actually, not Gene Simmons. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Boom. 
you know, I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I've been about the bass for a very long time. Now, here are the remarkable members of KISS, and first of all, Mr. Gene Simmons, who is the bass player, <laughs> who is the bass player, and Ace Freely, who is the lead guitarist. I'm not, I'm the trap player. <laughs> because uh, Gene came in and he said, I didn't know I played bass. And I said, well, I see Ackroyd on Saturday Night Live with the, with the bass fish, and then you say the trout player. I have to excuse it. Bass, bass. Yeah, bass. Bass, anything, bass, but not bass. Never a bass player. Never a bass player. player. Bass player. Actually, the bass player. Oh yeah, that's right, baby. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. So, Cassius, what's that? Ba- that bass is so low, I would eat it off the floor. Oh, I knew you were gonna go with <laughs> the floor's dirty. <laughs> Cassius, what song do you think benefited the most from the remastering on disc one? Uh, you know, I think it's hard to pick one specific song because they all sound so damn good. Uh, I think that instead of picking a song, I'll pick an instrument, and that for me would be the drums. The drums sound so crisp and so good, it's especially the second you turn on I Stole Your Love. It's just like, it's out of control. It's crazy. I mean, Peter, uh, you know, sometimes I would go back and forth between Love Gun and Rock and Roll Over for his shining moment on the drums. And after hearing it remastered so nicely, I'm going to have to say it was Love Gun. I mean, yeah, it was fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I think the whole record sounds really, really good now. Excellent. Matt Porter? Yeah, I got to agree with all that. I think in some ways it points out how poor the original CD releases are. When you go back to the ones that you bought in the 80s and you go, wow, there's a lot of kind of stuff missing. Um, yeah. I think it sounds fantastic. Craig Cohen? The, the opening moments of I Stole Your Love where you really feel – the, those low toms from uh, from Peter's drums, for me that was the the moment where I realized early on in, in my first listen that this remaster was going to deliver something we hadn't heard before in terms of really opening up the sonics of the album. It it it, it breathes, and uh, that's really what you want to hear with with a remaster. And you know, a lot of people always talk about double dips, but. When a remaster sort of delivers the way that this does, uh, it's worth it because the technology is always going to be advancing and remastering techniques are going to be moving forward uh, based on how we listen to music. So uh, for me, it really was just that, that bottom end. Andrew? Yeah. The album's never sounded better. You know, granted, this is the sixth time I've bought Love Gun. I have Love Gun six different times. So when I first got the first CD, I'm like, is this really going to be any different? Because, yeah, I heard a huge difference between the original 80s release and the 97 remaster. But then when I put this on, the album has never sounded better. It made me excited to listen to it. I was excited to listen to Love Gun again. You know, sometimes I, this is one of the albums I skip over just because Rock and Roll Over is, you know, a, a huge favorite of mine. And then, you know, Creatures of the Night is another really huge favorite of mine. So this album always kind of gets skipped over. But listening to this remaster... It sounds great, and I find that I keep on going back to it, going, this is so cool. I'm hearing things I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Would you guys have liked to have uh, Eddie Kramer done what Bob Ezrin did and done like a Love Gun Resurrected kind of thing where he went in and messed with some things? No. I don't think there's much to hear uh, that's hidden on Love Gun. I agree. 
I mean, I think Kramer was a different kind of producer than Ezrin. You know, Ezrin used to print all his effects to the actual tapes. So if there was a reverb on a vocal or a guitar, that's how he recorded it. I don't think this would have. I don't think this would have been any better. There wasn't. Bob Ezrin is known for tinkering around with things and you know putting a lot of hidden gems in there. This is just a, a rock record, four-piece right. rock band, just yeah. playing their asses off. Destroyer was this whole eclectic experience and something Kiss never did before that and pretty much never did after. I'll tell you, I would be kind of pissed if I bought that Kisteria box set and then you see this and it's like, why don't we have this on vinyl with all yeah. this extra cool stuff? There isn't a vinyl release currently. Right. It's kind of I mean, weird. I feel like it's been true for a while with Kiss's, you know, re-releases and so on. This sort of idea of like, just give us the whole shebang in one fell swoop. Right? Well, see, I'm really getting spoiled by the monkeys right now. Because they put out these three or four disc box sets that is, is about one album. And it's got everything from the instrumental tracks to... Mixes only used on the television shows to demos to live performances. There's just so much that can be done. This kind of comes up a little short in this area. Let's move on to disc two, the first track on disc two. We're going to go track by track. And I think that we can all kind of agree that this thing really needed to be resequenced. Does is anybody else feel that way? Well, that's the beauty of iTunes, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's strange to have this interview pop up in the middle of the disc. It should have been at the very end, you know. Absolutely. Anyone else? You know what? The whole way? thing has like a bootleg kind of vibe. I mean, exactly. like, you know, you, you listen to it and there doesn't seem to be too much kind of choice in the sequencing. And it also, in a lot of ways, I thought it felt almost like a Gene Simmons solo album because you get most of the vocals on the album side are Gene. You know, then you have the Gene interview and, and like, yeah, that does pop up in the middle. And, you know, if we, and obviously we'll talk about each track. But the, um, you know, the one thing that if you go back into the book, you know, to me, it points out one of the the really glaring omissions is even in the the book gene says well you know i wrote these demos with the van halens and we did got love for sale and christine and 16 and tunnel love okay well where are they you know he right. references them but this would be the package to put them in like Absolutely. why haven't we gotten those you know i mean imagine if this second disc led off with um you know got love for sale and it's the van halen brother demo oh, where is God. it you know what are we waiting for at this point for us to yeah. all die and not buy it again. And, we're gonna, and Andrew, you got to buy it a seventh <laughs> time. So it's no. Uh, I'm done buying Love Guns. Six, six times is a plenty. Well, I got the interview would have made sense before the the final three live tracks because you have all your demos. You get right. the Gene interview, sort of plugging their show that night, and then you get a taste of what that live show might have sounded like. Uh, well, why didn't cool. why didn't they you know use the show that the interview was from? This interview is incomplete. Earlier in the year, this interview surfaced with the full Montreal show from 1977. It would have been cool to hear something different. What I'm hearing from quite a few fans on message boards and podcasts is that they feel maybe that this release was a little bit thrown together. I mean, we have a repeat of a demo that was just released on the last compilation. Uh, there's some, you know, placing issues. Do you guys feel like this was thrown together, just kind of spur of the moment type thing to make some money? Well, yes and no. Yes, because, okay, this is a mess, 
but no, because one of my good friends actually worked on it, so he was working on it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I know okay. it wasn't thrown together, but it does seem like that because I'm looking at the you know the sequencing of the tracks, and I'm looking at some of the pictures in the book and bop and bop, and I'm like, all right, this, all right, you could have done better. Yeah. Do you notice the name of that Mott the Hoople song is wrong? Which one? When uh, Paul says that he tried to write a song that sounded like the golden days of rock and roll, but it's the golden age of rock and roll. Oh, oh shit. I mean, and look, not a big deal, but if it turns anybody onto that song, I think that's a that's a real plus. If you if you don't have that song by Mott the Hoople, go out and get it, and it's really good. And but it's the golden age of rock and roll, and it's funny because I always think of that. If you ever if you don't know the song, go look for it. But the, at one point they reference ninety six decibel freaks, and I now sing ninety six decibel geeks. But that's <laughs> totally off the subject. Hi, Chris and Aaron. Well, let's well, go to track one. Let's oh, talk about much so too good. I know that you're busting at the gut for this one. Much Go too soon. It. It's much too late. This thing should have been out <laughs> ages ago. It's so good. Man, I'm such a big Gene Simmons fan, so it's like a no-brainer that I would love this disc and I would love beginning it with this song. But this is the this is the kind of thing that just like it just kills me as a Kiss fan and as and as a Gene Simmons fan. All the I don't know the, all the hullabaloo about Gene not being focused as a songwriter, not you know he's sort of musically not his heart's not in it. It's all about making money and blah, 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 blah. I, I get I get where that comes from. Of course, it comes from his mouth for one thing. But then you get a song like this, uh, and it's just a it's just this, a shame because he's such a talented talented pop songwriter you know it's so it's melodic the the lyrics are weird and evocative just like a classic gene simmons lyric like going blind or any you know any classic uh watching you any classic gene simmons lyric where you're like what the hell are you singing about it's so creepy it definitely is creepy that's for sure and it's got that that uh, you know i'm sorry just that gene vocal that's not the cookie monster thing which is fine i love the cookie monster thing too it's all over the record and it's great but God, you know, this is something like, it's almost like after all these years, someone said to me, oh, did you know that there's another track on his 1978 solo album? I'm like, what? You know, like there's another right. one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've, I've never heard this either. I mean, I'm not sure if this has been out before, but it's news to me. Yeah, Matt Porter? Well, even that, it, you know, we're talking about the packaging, but I wish there was more notes about all of these songs. You know, we've heard a lot of the notes about the songs that are on the actual album, but really, like, we don't really know for sure when was this written. To me, it almost has more of that Wicked Lester vibe. I mean, it's, it has kind of a Jethro Toll vibe, like an Aqualung kind of thing. I don't know. That's what I was getting. And it is cool, and it's creepy, and you wonder, it does seem like something that would have been more at home on his solo album. If you had to put it on Love Gun, what would you take off to put it on there? I don't know. Then she kissed me. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously that, you know, for whatever reason, they, they kind of talk about that even in the notes that that wasn't a good idea. So, sure, that would be an easy one to take off. Um, you know, and I really wish there was more notes about this. What was, you know, really more specifically, when was it written? And obviously, I think much too soon, you know, they're talking about a young girl, and hopefully it's not a uh, Steve Cornell co-write. But the, uh, you know, it's oh, one of those boy, things ouch. where, you know, the uh, it, it's that it is creepy. I don't know that I would have led the side off with it. I think it's a good song, but it's, I you know, 
I don't know that it's the album opener. If if this was if side if this second disc was its own album, I don't know that you'd lead with it. Right, Andrew. It's a really great period Gene Simmons song because there's a lot of songs that Gene wrote around this time that kind of sound like this. And I'm going to dovetail on what Matt said. There should be more liner notes about these. Remember we got the box set in 2001, and each song had its own when it was recorded. You know who was on the track, even right. though there may be some speculation that that might be incorrect. But and there was a little bit, you know, where this song came from and why it was left off the album. What I would love to hear is I would have loved to have heard Kiss do this song because mm-hmm. you know once Paul got his hand on, he might have changed things around a couple, you know, changed a couple things around here and there. Um, so I would have loved to have heard a proper Kiss version of this song because I think it would have been interesting. These these Gene Simmons demos uh, have a certain charm to them. The the guitar solos are always kind of simple, and and Gene Gene has a groove that I think Kiss. I love Kiss, but Kiss does not have that groove. That's, I mean, almost human does. Watching you does. But Gene has a kind of a groove that is, uh, that's in a lot of his demos that doesn't make it to the finished product. Right. I don't know. Can you hear like, the Alice uh, Cooper kind of vibe, too? Like, I could hear Alice Cooper doing this song for sure. Sure. Totally. Yeah. With piano. Kind of like All the Way, right, Gary? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cassius? I think that Much Too Soon is an awesome song. As Gary said, you know, Much Too Late. Um, You know, as I was saying before, this was a real treat for me to hear a Kiss song or, you know, a Gene song, whatever you want to call it, that's new to me that I actually haven't heard a demo of in the past or anything like that. So, you know, if this was around in the past, I never heard it. I think it's really good. And as you guys were saying, it's really creepy, but in that, you know, kind of, it's acceptable because it's Gene, you know, it's just like, it, it, it works. I really like the track. Craig Cohen? Yeah, um, I think everybody pretty much hit what I was going to speak to, and, and Andrew mentioned how he really would have liked to have heard this as um, a Kiss song, and I would take that one step further and really be interested in, to, you know, to hear what Eddie Kramer would have contributed as well. But overall, it's, it's, a, it's a great demo. And, and like Gary said, it, we really had to wait way too long to hear this because it, it is a really quality tune. Well, the next track is Plaster Caster's Demo. This is one of my favorite songs on the album, so I was really looking forward to hearing a demo of it. And I, I just really enjoyed it. It's this isn't some this isn't like a demo in the quality of Don't You Hesitate, because I think a lot of people heard Don't You Hesitate and they were like, This is a, a great song. So I heard the demo of this. I didn't think it was all that much different from the album track. Um, you had little nuances different here and there. Um, again, I'll, I'll say it again, I would have liked to have heard from the band members, okay. 
why when was this demo recorded where did the idea come from talk a little about the demo so that's kind of missing here craig cohen the biggest thing that i love about this demo is how different gene's voice is than the the finished album cut um his voice sounds really really sort of i don't know if tired's the right word but there's something in his voice that doesn't sound like gene operating at a hundred percent um, and there's something appealing about that for me. It really makes it stand out as a a real sort of alternate look at this song. And I don't know, that rawness of Gene's voice really, really appeals to me and is probably what would make me um, listen to this song again or this version of the song again. Matt Porter? Yeah, I agree. I think anytime you get to hear kind of a what would be a fresh take on a song that we know so well, whether it's a live version or just like a demo like this it's fantastic i mean obviously the, i think it's also one of been been one of my favorite songs for a long time um the uh the thing i think you know we were talking about earlier with the love gun and what you thought of at the time obviously i had no idea what they were talking about when we you know and i'm eight years old i think you know as you got old and realize what this is really about and and the kind of things that were happening you know it's such an interesting song and uh you know yeah so the demo obviously just not to hear kind of a fresh take on it. Cassius? I think it sounds uh, quite raw. I mean, if there was a version of Plaster Caster and Hotter Than Hell, this would be it. Uh, I think it sounds really good, and, you know, it's just kind of... it's The original is Classic Kiss, but this is also Classic Kiss. I mean, Classic Kiss, for me, has two different kind of versions. The Paul is polished version with you know love gun and rock and roll over and then that raw version where they were doing winterland and the academy of music this is kind of on that side of the spectrum and i really like it gary i think it's great it's just it's wonderful to have a song as i don't know as iconic as this as beloved as this and have a a new version of it to listen to that's a you know studio version good sound quality and and a slightly different angle on it and those harmonies in Plastercaster are are something else. Uh, I, I I wish I had the musical vocabulary and uh, to to really um, to speak to what it is about those harmonies that's unique. But there's something very unique about the the ones that you know, like ask her. They just land on a very I don't know, very compelling interval, and it's uh, it, those harmonies have always blown me away. And the demo is no exception. Our next track is Reputation. She was young. This would have been a really uh, nice surprise if we hadn't already heard this on Kiss 40. Yes. <laughs> why is this on here? Why? <laughs> we just got this. It was the reason why I went out and got Kiss 40. Oh, cool. I get to hear this demo that I never heard before. Here it is again. Why? Wait, wait, wait. Wait, the reason you got Kiss 40 wasn't the version of Deuce from 2004 that you already had? No, I had what? that damn. I had that damn version because I was at that damn concert, so I got right. the instant live. That's why I rushed out to buy it. So yeah, oh yeah, and the free T-shirt with Kiss Forty. Great, comes in one size. Doesn't even fit me. And it doesn't stick to my refrigerator either. What the it hell? Doesn't even my fridge either. So this is garbage. I, 
so this song, <laughs> I, like, I skip over it, not because I don't like the song, just because I'm so pissed off that I, why, why is this on here? You know, I think with that in mind, this song, it sounds so much more in place on this album. It's totally out of place on Kiss 40. You know, when Kiss 40 is celebrating the 40th anniversary and kind of giving you somewhat of a retrospective, it's totally out of place on that set. Whereas here, this is exactly where it should be because, it, like I said before, it sounds kind of bootleggy and you get this kind of mix of demos. And uh, I actually enjoy the song more in the context of this CD than I did on Kiss 40. So, And it is a good song. And again, it makes you sit there and say, okay, if you had to subtract a song from Love Gun, what would you take to put this on? And I'm not sure that, the, you know, the, the, other than obviously every answer is going to be, and then she kissed me. You know, what would you subtract if you had to add this in? And, but, uh, but on this disc, I think it really works. I really like it. I, don't, I can't say I love it. It's, you know, of those like Gene demos that are floating around and the ones that they've released, it's good. It's, I don't find it quite as compelling as um, Much Too Soon or some of the other Gene rarities, but I, I mean, I think it's solid. And I, I actually, I agree with Matt that, uh, you know, it, it does make more sense on this release than Kiss 40. Uh-huh. I'm pissed that Andrew had to buy it again. <laughs> <laughs> Our next track is Love Gun, the teaching demo. Your one part is like it's at the octave. That chord is a D minor position and it's played over the A minor. It's played on the Eighth fret. Andrew, your thoughts on this? This is actually the most interesting thing on the whole set for me personally as a musician. I would love to hear more stuff like this because it's Paul. You can clearly tell it's Paul maybe at like 4 o'clock in the morning and he's not trying to, you know, overextend himself. He's talking in a very low register and just kind of explaining how this song is going to be structured. To me, that's really, really interesting. I would buy a whole album of that if... It's them just working out the songs and hearing things that maybe they tried that didn't work or hearing things that maybe they tried that they ended up on the album. This, to me, this is the finest piece on the, uh, on the album. And again, what's missing? I want to hear Paul's comments on this. I want to hear, you know, I came up with this, you know, at a such and such time and we're in this studio and I'm explaining this guitar part to Ace or I'm explaining it to Eddie Kramer. I want to hear that. Or I want to read that. I want to read more about this. This is my favorite part. Matt Porter. You know, I agree. I think in some ways, and people can say that the Love Gun reissue, oh, it's just they want the money and it's a grab and it's not produced this or that or the other. To me, this says this is only for Kiss fans because we're the only ones that want to hear, you know, that's it's then you go from an E minor chord to, you know, and you know, <laughs> well, I mean, that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. I mean, you're not going to listen to this when you're leaving work on a Friday and you're cranking something up in your car. You're not going to put this on. You're putting this on because you want everything. And that's again, it's that bootleggy kind of feel where how many hours of these kind of things do we have where it's like that? It sounds like somebody had a tape recorder in the back of the room and, and then you're listening with all your might to hear that one thing where they might say, 
say a different lyric or something. I love this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just like, and and we talk about the sequencing of the disc. I mean, to have it go from this teaching demo right into that actual demo, like you hear, actually hear the tape recorder, that, that kind of sound that you're all so familiar with from boot, like, you know, and then it goes right into clicking off the Love Gun demo. I thought it was the most exciting, really, getting it and listening to it in that way. You know, here he is with just the absolute root of a song, and then right into that demo. And I mean, and look, I love, I think Love Gun is still one of my favorite songs all these years later. So to be able to hear it in such a raw form and really kind of get in there with the songwriting process, and I think it's fantastic. Great code. Cassius started a, a thread about how creepy Paul sounds here, and I hadn't heard it or noticed it until it was pointed out, but now it's all I can hear. And it definitely <laughs> sounds like the tape might be slowed down a little bit. Right. But Paul either sounds really, really tired or or tuned down. Maybe he uh, was having voice problems back then as well. But either way, I think from a historical standpoint, it's really cool to have. I've listened to it maybe three times, and I'm not sure I'll listen to it again. This is the type of stuff that you know, fans of songwriting and construction and how things are presented to the other band members really sort of find fascinating. I know as a, a musician, it, it was something that I really sort of really found interesting and gave a little bit of insight into how, you know, Paul presented things to the band. I, I like this sort of thing a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm very much with Matt and, uh, and Craig and I think others in this idea of wanting every little nuanced piece of history, particularly the creation of the music. Um, I, I, we've talked about them before on the show. The, uh, there's like a multi-disc bootleg. Bootlegs are bad, everybody. Don't, don't listen to or buy bootlegs. <laughs> but a great bootleg you all should get is this, um, is this bootleg that's all these discs of um, working on the uh, Dynasty record, right? We've talked about oh, that. Right. Yes. right. Seven, seven discs. Right. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, they're, you know, it's... It's the kind of stuff that Beatles fans get a free pass on because, you know, like Beatles fans get this stuff and and they'll listen to, you know, track after track, like take after take of the same song. Um, Ken, are you familiar with a bootleg called uh, Please Me Do? Yes. Yeah, right? So it's like, it's this famous uh, Beatle bootleg. One side is Please Please Me and the other side is Love Me Do and it's just take after take. But if you love these songs and you grew up with them, I mean, Kiss is our Beatles, right? Right. Well, the Beatles are our Beatles, but you know, Kiss is so special to us, <laughs> and, and you know, we grew up with this stuff. I, I, I'm with Matt. I want to hear every, every whisper cranking up the volume just to hear like, oh, is that a different alternate lyric or something? Right. And so, I, man, I, I want all of this. I really do. This this band is so special to my heart, and I want to hear these moments of creativity that became. There's something special about uh, Paul sitting down with a tape recorder and mapping out Love Gun that. No amount of joking about, oh, that's great, now play Love Gun. You know, it's still a gem of a song. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's funny. You mentioned the thread that I started. Uh, Everybody starts commenting, it's not creepy, it's not creepy, it's not creepy. Well, I mean, you're going to tell me I don't find it creepy. I mean, I do find it creepy. I mean, it sounds like Paul on Tranquilizers. You know, I still find it to be quite cool, you know, as Gary was talking about, to be mapping out one of the most iconic songs Kiss has ever released. So in that aspect, is pretty cool. Well, and again, I think in the context of this package where you have what 
like I said, kind of seems bootleggy. I think in a way, because it slows down like that, it does sound like the tape's kind of stretched. And in some ways, I like the idea of Paul. The In my mind, I'm picturing Paul sitting there with this little black tape recorder like he used to have. And obviously, you have to go back in your mind and think about it. It's okay if it's 1976 or 77, and he has that little black tape recorder. To me, that just there's something cool about it. Like now, everybody can record everything. And, and in high-quality digital, right on your phone, phone or whatever and and you know you figure bands in like 30 years from now are going to have not only every second of their recording process is recorded but like every minute of their life is recorded in high def you know video so the fact that i think a lot of it speaks to the technology you know things they just there aren't that much of this kind of thing the technology just didn't allow for it. You know, you had to go to a studio a lot of time to record. You didn't have the ability to do, you know, these phenomenal demos in your bathroom the way people do now. So it's, I think, oh, yeah. even though it does sound creepy and it kind of sounds slowed down, you know, I like that it's kind of the idea that the tape is all stretched out and we somehow have gotten the chance to hear it. Well, yeah, also, Matt, somebody had to hold on to this. Right. I mean, somebody, there was probably a box and it's probably in Paul Stanley's, you know, closet says, oh, demos. And it's probably written with a pen. You know, I mean, like and, and you know, everybody has things like that, that to him, he probably threw it aside. But the fact that like exactly what you say, somebody thought to keep that cassette. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, once he taught the rest of them and it became a huge hit and they've been playing it forever. But somebody found that tape and goes, oh, yeah, there I am writing Love Gun. Oh, that's cool. Well, who was he teaching it to in the beginning? I mean, was it for himself later? Or? Ace. I think oh, in yeah. my mind, I'm picturing that it's him and Ace sitting together. And, and and that might not be true. Again, we talk about I wish there were liner notes where Paul would you know put his recollections, you know, here I am in my hotel telling myself. Yeah, or was I too. sitting with Ace? Or, you know, yeah. I wish that that existed, like that they would go just that little bit deeper. I mean, he may not even remember. I don't even remember when I recorded this kind of thing. But I would love that. And, and I think that's what a lot of time I try and picture where they were and what they might have been, you know, doing. And, you know, like, was it in a hotel room? Room? Was it, you know, in the back of a tour bus? Like, I, I love that. Just painting that kind of imagery in my mind of, you know, of what they might have been doing when they were recording that. And and you think just the fact that to think about there he is with the germs of those ideas that's going to become one of the most iconic Kiss songs. I just I find that kind of stuff fascinating. Yeah, it could have been is. like a, a jet lagged Paul after that flight to Japan where he claims to have written the song. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's I, I think it said. sounds I mean, slowed down, though. Somebody tested it. They changed the RPM or something like that, or they messed with it in their editing program and they found that it wasn't slowed down or somehow, or they in claimed terms of the to. tuning. Yeah. Do you yeah. My, my guess is that someone pitched it down to E flat because that's the key that the song is in on the album, and that's the key ah. that. It's usually tuned to used to. I guess they they tuned down even more now. But um, yeah. but I I wonder if maybe because it's a demo, he may have been playing on a guitar that was tuned to just E, right, regular, and mm-hmm. and then um, right when they put this demo on the record that we just bought, they may have pitched it down, assuming that that Paul was playing a guitar that was pitched down to E that was tuned down to E flat, and as a result, right. his voice got erroneously pitched down as well. Right, that makes sense. <laughs> why they advertise the proper Love Gun demo that's on here as being, you know, never before released. This is the same version that's on the box set, no? Uh, did they did they say that it was a never before released demo or were they talking about the writing demo? I think I, it's I, slightly different. Uh, the runtime is different for sure. 
Mm. Um, I could tell you that. Hold on. I didn't back to back them, but they sounded, you know, I mean, the, the but, main thing on that, that demo that stood out to me was, you know, the prominence of that Ebo <laughs> that sort of got yes. lost in the album. Right. Yeah. Um, thank God. Thank God. You hear that. <laughs> I right, totally so on, Smash, that. on Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits, you to- they mixed that way back up. It's yeah, a right. very different mix. Yeah. yeah. So the demo version on the box set, it clocks in at 323. And if we go down to the good old Love Gun Deluxe, uh, the demo version of Love Gun, this one clocks in at 319. So oh, either wow. It's, okay. So I, I, I haven't, like you, I haven't listened to them back to back yet. But just as the runtime alone, I think there just might be just a different take. That could yeah, just because – Yeah. Well, well, my thing is like how many times are you going to demo a song before you just go in the studio and record it? You'd be surprised. I mean, people sometimes say, oh, I wasn't feeling it that day, or, or maybe we need to just do this again to just have one for safety. I mean, when people are recording the albums, I mean, I know when I was a kid, I thought that they everything on the album was just the first take, first time. But this is like <laughs> this is like hours and hours of work. And you know how many times they play those songs before the album is done? I mean, good God. Too many. You know, a lot of bands pr- talk about now how they don't even like to demo because they're afraid they're going to fall in love with the demo. Demo-itis. Right, and then you don't get as good a take. I mean, that's, I think, you know, you're talking about Beatles kind of bootlegs, things like that. The Beatles did a little bit more of that playing everything together because there wasn't a hundred tracks of, you know, uh, digital space to record onto. You know, I think that's one of the things. Anytime we get these demos, it's always kind of nice because I don't think they really did so much full demoing the way people do now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my, I mean, I thought this was interesting. I obviously the uh, the Love Gun teaching demo was my favorite thing on the album. But you know, so you get the teaching demo, and then it goes right into you know the demo of Love Gun, right? And then, then you know we'll talk about later on how it goes into a live track of Love Gun. So this is like the anger guy coming out here a little bit. How many fucking times do I need Love Gun on one goddamn release? Three, we apparently. Got it, we got it on the album, so that's number one. Then we got the how demo, many? number two. Got the demo, number three. Then we got live version, number Why is the song in here four times? How many Love Gun releases do you need? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, <laughs> its inclusion in this, uh, in this release does make sense. And I do really enjoy that demo. I think it, you know, I, I think it speaks to the... the a great songwriting of Paul Stanley, just doing doing his best at his best. Um, and as a demo, it, it's um, it's so solid. It's amazing when you hear a songwriter just map out all the ideas, and it's there, and it's just ready to rock. And all it needs is to be you know polished and finished as a as a full band recording. One question I have is: Has it has it been officially confirmed that the bass on the finished product is is also Paul? I think it has actually. Is that right? Okay, yeah. Or at I, least I know like it's it not be. Gene. Yeah, it's not it's not Gene Hunt. Whoever plays it on the on the demo as well, you know, does a great job. The whole thing is just terrific. Um, the, this demo, and I, I've enjoyed it since the box set, and I enjoy it still. We have the the Gene interview that goes right into that instrumental demo of Tomorrow and Tonight. We sort of talked about the Gene interview already. Is there anything that anybody wants to add regarding that interview? I'll say briefly that I like this Gene interview. It's it's one that I don't think I'd had before. I do have a lot of old interviews, and maybe it's somewhere, but they may have they they could have probably picked something more interesting or 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 certainly more humorous. Kiss at that time, I think, were really funny in a lot of their interviews. I do really like this one. I guess it presents Kiss uh, at their peak, mm-hmm. sort of um, promoting themselves as the greatest show on earth, and and at a time where I really think 
that may have been true. Well, you know, my thing, when I listen to this interview, I'm like, what happened to the, what is it, the 10Q interview? You know, the interview they were in the studio wearing masks, kind of right. talking about Love Gun. Where's that interview? That would have been cool to yeah. hear. And furthermore, where's a, a cool vintage radio advertisement for Love Gun? That would have oh, been right. cool. Yeah. You look back and there are so many other cool moments in history that could have been, you know, represented on this album. Yeah. I think there needs to be some kind of fan interaction to hear what the fans want. I mean, a lot of the time they do listen, but when it comes to things like this, as Andrew was saying, there's so much that is was missed. And if you're going to release something like this, maybe have some, you know, know what the people really want. Right. And have Kiss involved. I, I guess they were involved yes. with this. That's that's fair to say. More more so than they were with Kiss 40 or whatever. A lot of the releases we treasure as far as the, the um, amount of detail and energy and attention put into them, like the box set, like the Kiss uh, Kissology DVDs. Exactly. These were recorded. These were released rather at times when Kiss were uh, had relatively low amounts of um, productivity or. Um, there, there wasn't a lot going on. They weren't, you know, constantly touring, etc. I mean, this is a time this year and, and I don't know the past, uh, what seven, eight years. Kiss have just been nonstop touring, and recording. Well, I was going to say that during Tommy's Q and A in the 2013 Kiss Expo, he referenced this deluxe edition being worked on. You can see how busy Tommy was being a member of Kiss from, right. yeah. you know. 2013 up until right now when they're in Vegas doing this residency so y you hear stuff like that and you wonder how much sleep Tommy really gets <laughs> well you, you guys mentioned Tommy are you ready for this sure tonight is Tommy Thayer's 500th show in Kiss oh yeah. wow. wow awesome and yesterday was his birthday yeah. yeah, congratulations. What a week for Tommy. That's very cool. Yeah. Wow. Really? 500 shows? Yep. You're Eric kidding. Singer is a few shows away from 600. Bruce Kulick played 602, and Eric Carr played 653. How many have Gene and Paul played? Holy. All of them. Well, Paul minus one, but Gene, all of them. <laughs> but, Eight. like, what's the number? A lot. Oh, God. <laughs> but that's yeah. pretty cool. So, I'm congratulations, sure. Tommy. In 1977, they didn't figure that every interview was going to be recorded forever and streamed all around the world. And like, because <laughs> right. clearly Gene is kind of blowing this off. You know, he sounds annoyed. Like he sounds an and like the DJ is like, oh, you know, I'm really wish you had been here. And Gene right away goes, well, well do you see how many trucks we have? As if like he's pulling parts of the stage out, you know, and setting it up. And then like. It, this interview actually makes me laugh through the whole thing. You know, at one point, like the DJ is going on about how, you know, if the power fell into the wrong hands and you can just yell, Devereaux, you know, and, and then and Gene's saying how, like, you know, people who tell you the secrets of life probably don't know the secrets of life. And then, but in your mind, you fast forward and go, but buy my new book called Me Incorporated. And, you know, you go, well, you know, and, and the guy says, you know, will you take off the uniforms and, and things like that. And the funniest part, the part that actually made me laugh out loud was, where the DJ says, you know, you, or Gene says, you can't convince an audience that you're not having a good time if you're not. The DJ was like, well, that's for sure, because he doesn't seem like he's enjoying, you know, Gene's kind of blowing him off. I think the whole interview seems like Gene just doesn't even want to be bothered. You I know, gotta listen uh, again. I didn't, I didn't get that, but, I, but I got now. I gotta listen again. I bet. Listen, I bet he kind of mumbles it. Well, that's for sure. You know, like, and I don't know. I as I was listening to this, I mean, again, we talk about. You know, I'm not gonna crank this up when I'm looking to really rock. It's, it's an no. interesting thing to have, but it kind of ruins the flow of the album because all of a sudden, you know, you come right off of you know the Love Gun demo, and then all of a sudden, here's Gene kind of not seeming that into being interviewed, and uh, the guy's like, well, so what do you think people? 
can expect. Whereas I think now at this point, we all know what to expect, but it does make you think back to them when there was people that were really kind of maybe not sure about what kiss was about. And, uh, you know, so interesting, but, uh, dated too. Yeah. You know what the most interesting thing for the interview was for me? How Gene says you're not going to see us doing a, a concept album anytime soon. Right. Right. Ouch. <laughs> right. No, that was that was uh, that was a bit of a moment there. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and look, it was Kiss and Cheap Trick, and then Cheap Trick was just on the cruise. So it's uh, you know it's it's good that all my favorite bands are still around. It all, all comes, comes around. around. Which, so by the, the way, one? speaking of Tommy Thayer, uh he and Robin Zander did some really cool stuff. They played a bunch of Beatles songs. Nice. Really? On the cruise? That's yeah. That's and we're awesome. going to uh, put them in a future podcast episode, but it sounds really good. Yeah. Now, Gary, yeah. you said you have that one where Gene's promoting the solo album where he, say, it's, where he says, you know, the line about you be weird. I'm still looking for that. If you ever dig it out, I want a good oh, copy. You be weird. You know what? There's a People great interview. It's one, weird, yeah. it's one of my absolute favorite Gene interviews ever. And at the end, he says that line. The lady says to him, "Will you have any last-minute thoughts?" And Gene says, "Well, no, but just this is for that weird guy or that weird girl who always does those things that their friends put them down for. Don't think it's so weird. Maybe someday somebody will give you a chance to make a living at it. You stick to it. You be weird." But that's awesome. I forgot and about I, that. I, yeah. I fucking love it. I play it at the end of every Kiss room. Mm-hmm. because yeah. it was something that stuck with me for so long and you know what I, I have it recorded on a cassette that I held up to the TV at the time I have most of that interview but I've, I've only ever seen it one time on YouTube and the quality is so bad but I would love it if anybody has that you know if anybody has that video it's like so. e, PM Magazine or Evening yep. Magazine or something no, was, like that was, was, was awesome. is, that with, uh, is that with Danny Sanders from WMMS? No. You know what I think it was recorded at the same time but it's not that one that floats around where they're in the comic book store it's a different interview it was, I'll try it, it was around the same day though it's, it had to be, probably be done the same day the it, same it press looks, he's got the same you know the big cape and everything <laughs> but it was like the woman asks him all this like you know stuff and you hear him say well you know when we have these meetings you know there's a lot of ideas going back and forth and she says something and she says well I like chocolate chip cookies and stuff like it's just it's a great <laughs> and like I said I have it on a cassette that's just you know like we talked about that earlier how you know you have these cassettes laying around that, that just says like Gene Simmons interview on it and it's right. Know. Any last minute crazy things you want to say to conform with expectations? But I will say something to anybody out there that's, you know, the weird guy or the weird girl that always has the weird things that they do that their friends put them down for. Don't think it's so weird. Maybe someday somebody will let you give you the chance to make a living out of it. You just stick to it. You'd be weird. So let's talk about tomorrow and tonight, the demo.
tomorrow and tonight, I, the demo is very cool. I, of course, I'm sure like everybody else, I wish there were vocals on this. I love hearing any of these sort of uh, you know early versions of, of songs that we've heard a gazillion times. And I like the arrangement on this. The drums during the, um, I guess the choruses sound a little different to me. It's more like it is during the breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I st- I'm still curious who that is singing, the women who sing on the studio version. It sounds like women, or maybe it's just their vocals pitched up. I don't know. But it does sound like women. Um, and maybe it's, uh, what are they called? Um, Kiss you know, right, right. Well, yeah, Katie Seagal and those, yeah. those yeah. folks, right? Um, yeah, I think it's the... So I, I do enjoy hearing this. It's, it's cool. Matt Porter, tomorrow and tonight. So I, I think it's cool. It's like the karaoke version. So anybody that wants to record themselves singing along with this could submit it. We'll maybe play it on the podcast. Um, you know, it, again, interesting to hear things kind of as they uh, were being created. I, that's what I enjoy about this is just the fact that you know you get all these background tracks to sing along in your car. So it's uh, it's good fun. This song reminds me of Leonard Skinner. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This with you this, this version of this song reminds me of Leonard Skinner kind of has that almost southern rock vibe to it yeah greg cohen your thoughts um actually gary has me really interested in going back and listening to this because this is one i sort of gave one pass when i listened to that second disc and said eh, there's not really much here going on for me and i think there's a lot of other uh instrumental takes that i would have preferred to hear from this album but based on Gary's comments, I, I, I need to go back and, and listen to this again. So, All right, Andrew Scambatti. I actually really like this track. It's one of those ones that, you know, growing up, I kind of always skipped over to Myron Tonight. Even on a live, too, I kind of skipped over it. But uh, last year, Mr. Speed went and learned a bunch of these songs. So mm-hmm. trying to tear apart, you know, what Peter did and, and what things in, what vocal parts did. I would have loved to have had this version to kind of reference. I mean, the arrangement is slightly different than what it ended up being ultimately on the album. But it's still interesting to me to hear the song that this was the song in its infancy. Who knows? Maybe this was day one when they brought it in. Or maybe this was right before they added everything else. But to me, this stuff is always the most interesting to me. Cassius? You know, it's it's a nice little bonus. I mean, it's something that you can hum along to. I mean, there's nothing to complain about about this for me. I mean, there's a lot of things that people in the Kiss world can complain about. I don't think this is one of them. I mean, I think it's just, you know, a nice bonus. Mm-hmm. Our next track is I Know Who You Are. For me, it's a gem because uh, Gene Simmons' solo album from '78 was my first Kiss record. It's still near and dear to my heart, and this is, you know, this is a piece of that history of that record that I've never heard before, and I, I, I just enjoy the hell out of this. So I'm, I'm glad they put this on there. Matt Porter, please take that one. I love this song. I think, uh, you know, because I love Gene Simmons' solo album so much, so when you hear those lyrics that you know so well in a different way, and like we talked about it earlier, it's just a fresh take on something that is so familiar because of, obviously, the Gene Simmons' solo album. So when you get those, you know, I know you write me sexy letters, which I I really like the (laughs) solo album version better, 
but it's just interesting. And I mean, I, I know we've all combed over bootlegs and demos for so many years that these are the kind of things that always were what turned you on was, oh my gosh, this is where that idea came from. And, and I know how then he changed it. And I, you know, I think, again, this is where I would like to have more notes on, like, you know, when did he write this? How did it morph into Living in Sin? You know, and maybe why was it bumped from Love Gun and, and left for his solo album and things like that? I just, I really enjoy that stuff so much and, and to get these kind of things. I hadn't heard this before. I mean, so much of this stuff, you know, floats around already, but I hadn't heard it before. So when it came on, you know, and I'm listening to it, and right away you hear these things that are familiar, but but yet in this version different. I just I love it every time. Andrew, I'm not a huge fan of the Gene Simmons solo album, so to kind of hear another Gene song on this collection, I'm like, when is enough enough? I want to hear other demos. Um, it's been well documented that whenever Gene writes an album, he brings a plethora of songs. So maybe he'll bring 40 songs, and maybe two will make the album. Right. I'm not saying that they're all bad songs. I'm just saying Gene is the guy that always brings the most in. I kind of wanted to hear, what was Ace doing? What was Peter doing? What was Paul doing? There's got to be one good Paul demo that didn't make the album or wasn't even you know, released down the line. So I get to this track, and I'm kind of burnt out on Gene Simmons trying to be the fifth Beatle. You know, <laughs> maybe I didn't give this the listen that I probably should have. Have, but at this point, I'm like, all right, Gene, I had enough. Thanks. But if you listen to the if you listen to the interview track, he says, you know, we bring in so many songs, and Ace might bring in one tune, and Peter might bring in one tune, and that's Classic. you know, he tells that DJ that, and you go, oh, come on, really? <laughs> it started yeah. back then. Yeah, Cohen. yeah, Classic <laughs> trends, right? Craig yeah, Cohen. This ends the sort of. Gene Simmons bonus EP that you can create uh, in <laughs> iTunes. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. Right. And I, I think, you know, assembled like that, it, it makes for kind of a neat listen. You know, you, you create some artwork for it, and it's Gene's, you know, e, you know, 77 EP or whatever. Right. Um, it's a good tune, but I, I kind of agree with Andrew here. It's kind of Gene overkill. Um, it, it almost makes you think that Gene was the only one doing anything during these, uh, you know, the prep for this album. But to speak to Paul Stanley, I know um, at the serious XM town hall that Kiss did right before Monster came out, my brother actually asked him about demos and if there would be more demos released in the future. And Paul seemed very dismissive of the idea of demos. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem like Paul is really interested in sharing that side of things because uh, to paraphrase his answer he said they didn't make albums for a reason that's what really made hearing the love gun teaching demo sort of interesting from that perspective that's a, a song that made an album track but it explained why we've never really gotten an official release of like sword and stone and some of those other you know 80s paul uh, tunes when your brother asked the question, didn't he say back, like, what are you talking about? And your brother lists off, like, Smoke and yeah. all these other songs, and you go, and Paul was kind of like, eh, you know, like, almost like he'd forgotten them, and I think we are the only ones that really remember them. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, in a way, like, I think if they threw the song away, he probably doesn't think anything of it. Well, the last three tracks on the album, we can kind of just give a cursory yeah. look at, because it's really nothing new. Yeah, I'll say in general about these these tracks. Um, I'm a little disappointed with the sound quality. I think um, something maybe could have been done to to clean it up a little bit, boost the low end a bit. It sounds very thin and very um, yeah, it's just it's it's sort of messy a bit. But it's such an energetic performance for all these songs, and and uh, and such a good performance. I, I'm 
I'm forgiving of the sound quality just for the energy and excitement. And, and uh, man, their chops were great. And, and the energy was just unbelievable. One thing about these live tracks that I, I haven't confirmed, but a, a lot of people that I've, I've been reading online have said that these were a mono source that was opened up to stereo, which sort of creates some of the issues that uh, mm -hmm. are present on this track. Most importantly, the much debated um, snare hits from Peter. What's the debate? The debate a lot is of people think a lot of people think they're samples, um, oh, wow. you know, that were flown in. The, the debate on this is what the fuck did they do to these tracks? <laughs> yeah, that's the debate right there. Andrew, as as a drummer, do you want to talk about these these live tracks and you know address the debate that's been ongoing about what may or may not have been done here? So I listened to these tracks, and when the album was first announced, I was like, where do these tracks come from? And then I heard that they came from the Largo, Maryland 1977 show, which, you know, we all bought that bonus disc from the Walmart version of Kissology Volume 1. So I kind of already knew what I was going to get. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, well, couldn't they have done something, you know, cool? Couldn't they have put, like, you know, a hooligan live version on there? Or maybe, you know, just done something else, something that was odd. I mean, there was a concert in 78 where the lighting rig collapsed, and they played Deuce. That would have been cool to hear. So I listened to these tracks, and it, I, as soon as Paul into the Love Gun, I heard the drums come in, and I was just like, what did they do? I don't know if the drums are re-recorded. I don't know if the drums are triggered. I don't know if the drums were sampled. I don't know what condition the tracks were that they used to for this album. But hearing this and then hearing the Largo, Maryland 77 DVD, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. Completely different to the point where I'm like, I'm like, they did something, and they didn't do it well. I mean, I almost went as far as not even importing these songs to my iTunes library just because I don't even ever want to hear these again. This was one of those biggest opportunities that was such a missed opportunity. They could have put cool live tracks on them or maybe just stuff that we didn't hear. And then we get this. I was just like, Is I did like that they put the whole solo for Shock Me in there. That was cool. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the uh, you wanted the best, you got the best fiasco. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, let's let's go around the table real quick. Thumbs up, thumbs down, Andrew Scambetti. Would you Overall, recommend it? To I give this fan? I give this thumbs up. The packaging is great, the magnet was cool, the albums never sounded better, and all the little different accoutrements on disc two, they were cool to hear too. So thumbs up from me. All right, Matt Porter. Yeah, definitely thumbs up. Exactly what you said. I mean, really anytime you get to hear Love Gun sounding so good. And I like all that extra stuff. I, I like the bootleggy feel of the second disc. I think it really is geared toward us as KISS fans because it's stuff that only we really want. And uh, definitely a thumbs up. Cassius? Definitely a thumbs up as well. Craig, crazy, crazy nights going. <laughs> thumbs up here as well. You got this amazing remaster that gives the, the album... Uh, you know the it's proper due in this digital age if you will and then like andrew said you get all this great extra stuff so for me the album alone would warrant this being a thumbs up and then uh, all the extra content you get in the packaging and and on discs too um you know just seal the deal uh and i'm grateful to have it flaws and all so there you have it we thank you for listening to our discussion on love gun deluxe and we hope you join us again on the next podcast. Thank you. And S-A-D-B-Y-T. <laughs> and that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the Kiss fanzine for your ears. I've got a, I've got a boogie, guys. It was great talking to everybody. Yeah, great was, talking to you, Gary. See you, Gary. Yeah, take care, Enjoy Gary. the rest of your weekend, Gary. Thanks. Gary, pay your taxes. And, the <laughs> other, and not the other one. All right. No, not the other. <laughs> That's all, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Oh, my God. Well, you I thought you were scoffing at me. I thought somebody well, just got attacked by a rabid dog. Yeah, I thought a dog was like, <laughs> edit that dog out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>